everyone always has something to say relative to education. I think the fact that so many people have opinions and perspectives on the schools is wonderful. School districts are very complicated. I will tell you that assumptions get made and sometimes they're correct and many times they are not. And I want to help people understand. We are educating kids for their future, not our past. Welcome to episode four of Leading Education with Jeff Rose. My name is Jason Pace, and we have an exciting episode for you today. Jeff, I'm super excited. Uh, we did change the show order up a little bit, Jeff. Last time uh, we we were talking about the topic of loneliness, we decided to take that out of the order. Uh, that's right. After doing the third show, um, I decided after your question asking me about specific big issues in education those got me excited and so I decided to take that loneliness in leadership what I think is an important topic and kind of put it aside and really just dive into some of those issues that we described but the big issue Jeff we really ended on was the issue of safety both physical safety and the social emotional needs of kids yeah that's in fact the umbrella of safety is, is a big one in fact, if you mention safety to somebody specific to schools, automatically some think of, you know, the physical safety. Is my child going to be safe in school? Whether right. that has to do with, you know, some sort of catastrophic event that could happen, things that make us nervous, even though statistically speaking, it's unlikely to happen to your child, that kind of does not matter. Right. Because the fear and everything that that fear creates um, is is a climate issue, right? It creates a culture that makes it difficult for students to focus, to parents to feel trust for the school. So this physical safety is really, really important. And it's not a but, it's an and. Right, I talked about the social and emotional concerns relative to anxiety our students are facing. And that can come from... A number of reasons why do kids um, struggle with these things so number one you know as generations over time things change in terms of how we raise kids by the way I'm not an expert in this area I'm just kind of riffing here but they do change in terms of how we raise students and our children and sometimes this may have to do with some shifts in values increases in our own information we gain information over time lifestyle expectations technology advancements world events and you know some parents have demonstrated concern or talked about their concern specific to sometimes kids being privileged Madeline Levine talked about this she has this book called the price of privilege it's it's fascinating read it's been around for a while but still very relevant and you know at times we as parents as adults complain about that you know, the concept when I was in school, 
we used to walk uphill both ways in right. snow to get right. you know back and forth. Um, however, if parents and educators truly take some time to reflect and think about what kids face today, I actually think that they would acknowledge that not only is it different, in some ways it's more challenging. My own daughter recently was struggling just through a typical night of hours upon hours of homework and the amazing pressure she puts on herself. Of course, we're perfect parents and we would never do that. But she puts a lot of pressure on herself specific to, you know, doing really well in school. And I was trying to calm her down and almost trying to get her to study less, which sounds odd, but it's often our task at home. And she said, you know, Dad, this was a lot easier when you were a kid. (laughs) And I said, what do you mean? And she was able to articulately describe how, in fact, it was easier. And she was right. She totally sold you on it. She was right. In fact, I I didn't have some of the same anxieties. And by the way, you know, my daughter grows up in a in a middle-class home, educated parents and so forth. So there's a lot of different stressors our students are facing, whether it be issues of poverty, which creates incredible stress, um, but also just the performance anxiety and some of the kind of culture and climate issues that I think our kids are facing and access to technology, which is dramatically different compared to when we were growing up. So the bottom line is, I think she's right. In a lot of ways, I think that it is different. And I do worry about the challenges kids face in this day and age. And when I meet with parents for the past number of years in my role, when when I meet with community, the one topic that resonates every single time is anxiety of kids. Yeah. Um, And parents and community members see it with their own children. We don't necessarily know how to solve it. We all want to do something. People say, you know what we need? We just need more counselors. And by the way, I do agree. I think we do need more counselors. That's a resource issue, but we do need that. But that doesn't create the silver bullet to this complex problem relative to what our kids are facing. So fast forward, we are here today to talk about that very thing. Absolutely. And because it's a complex topic, of course, we can all imagine that there's a range of of experts and people who know more than we do, right? And and so what we wanna to do today is introduce our first guests, right? We're episode four and lo and behold, we've already got guests. How fantastic and, and is fact, that? In fact, I can't imagine what it must be like uh, <laughs> to be, you know, David and Kathy and be so privileged to be on our show for I the agree. first time, right? So uh, that's a joke. Um, we really don't know what we're doing, but we're doing our best. And we are thrilled that you're here with us. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a bio uh, specific to each of you. And if I, if I miss something, uh, you can, you can, you know, tease me about it later. Okay. First of all, we have David Smith with us, and David has served as executive director at the Summit Counseling Center since 2001. He is both an ordained minister and a licensed therapist, and under his leadership, the Summit Counseling Center has established an extensive network of community partners with other nonprofit organizations um, like Cure Childhood Cancer, the Will to Live Foundation, United Way of Greater Atlanta, and the Fulton DeKalb Hospital Authority, school systems such as Fulton County Schools, DeKalb, school district, uh, faith communities and businesses. In 2015, 
The summit initiated the Summit On-Site School Therapy-Based Program, initially providing services in six North Fulton high schools and has now expanded to 20 schools in North Fulton. And the summit now has 31 therapists on staff and provides services at the main office in Johns Creek. Uh, four community and uh, uh, congressionally-based satellite counseling centers in Johns Creek, Dunwoody, Milton, Cumming, and 21 schools in Fulton and DeKalb counties, as I mentioned before. And Kathy Murphy is also here with us today, Summit Director of Community Outreach. She's been on the staff, staff since 2010, and she um, there's a lot of oversight and coordination specific to the Summit's school-based therapy program with the North Fulton Mental Health Collaborative, mental health and awareness and education in our community. And of course, you have the task of uh, being a mother of five children that attended both public and private schools in the community and now have grandchildren in our public school system and yes. yeah the, the reason that I read those the details is because as Jason mentioned even trying to oversee education um, from my perspective as a teacher and a principal and a superintendent I didn't have one-on-one -on -one relationships with students when I moved into that leadership position. So I can't pretend as though I know that level of detail. I'm a parent, I'm an educator, but the intent here was to bring in expertise, to kind of have this conversation specific to the issues of what I think that you face and support every single, thing, every single day, if that makes sense. Thanks, Jeff. We're glad to be here. Absolutely. So, you know, at this point, let me just, I'm just going to ju jump in. So tell us, tell us about Summit Counseling Center and tell us about your work with students. And we'd love to hear more from your perspective. So the Summit has been around since 1990. Um, I came in 2001 and the Summit provides uh, professional counseling and psychological services to people. And we integrate, uh, have an integrated approach that tries to address the whole person, body, mind, spirit, and community. We really believe in community partnerships, as you mentioned, and reaching out to ensure that we understand the needs of the community, as well as crafting uh, unique solutions to meet those needs. Is there anything like you'd add to that, Kathy? Uh, no, just that um, in the last probably eight years, we've been very intentional about going out into the community, like David said, and doing needs assessments, um, each organization um, has different um, issues that they're dealing with in uh, the area of mental health. So instead of going into a church or a school and assuming what their needs are, we always go in and uh, do a needs assessment and find out um, specifically where what their needs are. And I'm gonna have a few questions and I wanna make sure that um, we were clear on this issue. While Summit has done so many incredible things in Fulton County. We can talk about those things, and this is a show specific to issues. So just know that any sort of you know, input or advice that I ask that you may have for us as communities or school districts, I think of that in terms of general terms. The issues that our students are facing here in Fulton County are not unique to Fulton County. Sure. I have worked in a variety of environments and I have seen similar scenarios throughout any community. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, I just want to be clear that this is not specific just to Fulton County because these issues are ones, and I know this from colleagues throughout the country, we are struggling with. We don't have the answer. A lot of the issues are still relatively new and we don't have this, you know, antidote 
in a drawer that we could use, because of course we would if we did. So um, maybe just talk to us about what you see. What are some of the, you know, the typical stressors, some of the challenges that you notice just in terms of trends in the community specific with our, with our, with our students? We started our school-based therapy program in 2015, and initially getting into the schools, we probably started at the wrong end of the spectrum. You know, we started with high schoolers. And so we're dealing with these high school students in six high schools, and it's hard to get high schoolers to show up for therapy. It's, it's hard to get to this group, this age group and demographic that have a choice about whether or not they're there. Mom and dad can't just send them in, so you really have to be appealing to them, you have to be available to them, and you have to establish those relationships. So we've had a terrific experience of of doing that and using uh, younger therapists so that they're able to identify with them. But initially what we have found is that anxiety is the first symptom that brings people in the door. And as we asked our therapist, give us, give us the list. What are the top three things that kids talk to you about? They said, anxiety, anxiety, and anxiety. And that, that was shocking. But now three and a half years in, we're seeing kids in middle schools, we're seeing kids in elementary schools, and that continues. We're seeing that continue to be the number one symptom that brings someone into therapy uh, in a school. So I guess the next question, the logical question is why? So I mean, I could come up with my own list, but that list would be based upon some hearsay and some assumptions. So specifically, why do you think kids are, you know, riddled with anxiety? What, what are you noticing? You know, for us, we have found that the kids are living in a soup, right? So it's not one thing. It's, it's probably the, the addition of each of those things put together. But it includes things as diverse as the expectations that they have for themselves. As you mentioned, you know, you, you, our kids pick up what's in the atmosphere. They pick up parental expectations, but also entire community expectations. We now have kids that are coming in uh, that are elementary schoolers that are saying, help me understand what to do to get into a good college. And you know that was not on my radar in first grade, I can just assure you. Uh, no one was ever surprised that, or, or thought that I was thinking that. And these days, kids are asking those kinds of questions from really early on. You know, I, quick story, I was once touring a school and I ended up kneeling next to a first grade student. And I just started asking her questions about her day and her week and so forth. And as she talked to me about her schedule, she was going to uh, tutoring and extra schooling after school, as well as schooling on Saturday. And after talking with her, I realized this wasn't because this child had specific learning needs. And so I continued the conversation, and um, she said, well, one thing I'm really trying to do, I study really hard because I really want a puppy. And I said, all right, but I, I don't understand the connection, so tell me more about that. And she said, well, if I get into tag, I get a puppy. 
So, ladies and gentlemen, tag talented and gifted program, and you know one dilemma that we're seeing in schools, and this is for another episode too. But you're not actually supposed to study into tag. <laughs> talented and gifted programs were actually designed for students that sometimes struggle in school relative to issues of high intelligence, etc. Not something that you can study into and then get a test, uh, score on a test, and get into tag and create anxiety for a second grader. And I'll also tell you this, what I notice when I talk with parents and community, they see this anxiety with their children, they all agree they don't want it, and when they're really honest, when we are really honest, we also know we play the same game. So sometimes we allow or we push too many AP courses, studying for exams, because of course, you know, the tail that wags the dog is entry into college, and that has changed since we were young in terms of how, you know, what it takes to get into college. Um, it's much more competitive and standards are much, much higher. And I think kids struggle with this. And yet we're on this treadmill and we keep running faster and faster and faster. We all want it to stop, but we don't know how to slow it. So it's just an interesting dilemma. And I see stories like this in schools all the time. Yeah, that's what we see. We see kids that uh, really have high expectations that somehow they've taken in and they hold themselves many times to an exacting standards. We have kids that come in very upset, anxiety disorder, having had a panic attack because they got their first B plus. You know, and they are convinced that with that B plus, they'll never get into Georgia, they'll never get into Georgia Tech, you know, th that somehow it's just over. Uh, and, and often, you know, one of the things that children don't have, that teenagers don't have is perspective. They have all the alarm, all the anxiety with no perspective. And so they can't oftentimes step back to get a, a larger perspective and say, well, no, this, I can put this in a, in a certain place. You know, this is really not as important as it feels right now. Uh, so part of what we do at the summit is to really try to give kids that perspective, to be a place that's safe, uh, to have a relationship where you can talk about the anxieties that you're experiencing at school, and you have an adult who, rather than uh, either judge you or, um, uh, again, put you through some sort of an assessment process, uh, instead listens and supports and then provides those skills to learn how to manage anxiety, to learn how to be more resilient. So, um, Kathy, is in many ways, as you are supporting kind of our, the, the school program specifically, uh -huh. um, as David mentions, these issues around anxiety, what are you finding um, specifically are some of the you know, treatments or supports that you see uh, being really helpful? What are, what are some of those uh, strategies? I think it's two-sided. I think there are the things that our therapists are using with the students, and a lot of that is, we've touched on a little bit, uh, building resilience and um, teaching them coping skills, uh, positive coping skills, so that um, they aren't stressing out, so that they're not doing self-harm or eventually leading to suicidal ideation. So um, just teaching them those positive skills. But I think on the parent side, we have to um, teach, go back and teach the parents that a lot of the things that they're doing that we think 
as being uh, providers or protecting our kids it's are not those are what are keeping them from from being able to flex those muscles um, I always like to compare it to uh, either a baby bird uh, hatching out of an egg or a caterpillar becoming a butterfly if a, if we help them that happen if we crack that egg open for that bird or open that cocoon they're gonna die because they're not it's not the way nature planned it they're not flexing their muscles and being able to um, to s strengthen themselves and I think as parents a lot of times we think that we're helping our child by helping them study for their SAT or sending them to tutors or being the ones that call the school you know I've heard people say that um, they have been in a hiring position and um, Millennials parents will call for the interview or call to follow up on that interview. So things that we think that we're doing to help our children are really harming them. Um, and eventually they're going to go off to college and they're not going to have built those skills themselves. So we're seeing some of the factors that may drive anxiety happen at home, away from school hours, and some happen during school. So what are the things that school districts, schools, and families should know or start to think about? One of the things that you mentioned about social media and technology access is that uh, our kids now have a level of access to technology and have so much screen time and social media that it really is weakening their muscles in terms of being able to uh, think and communicate to use their words uh, to notice what their emotions are and be able to communicate those to other people we're seeing kids that that really are good at texting and really good at any at an email but who aren't good at a face-to-face -face conversation with a friend where it might be an important conversation or one where they have to be vulnerable or express anger or fear or frustration and they're having a real difficult time doing that so one point I want to make uh, from a school leadership perspective is we are often working with limited resources. We have our revenue that changes year to year and quality school districts do the best they can on aligning dollars and resources to the needs of students. Now usually that comes in the form of people. I've mentioned before that typically a school district budget whether that be 50 million or 1.5 billion, about 85% of that is in people. So most of our resources in a school district go towards people. And yet, the needs seem to change every year. And safety now is very different than it was 10 years ago in terms of conversation in creating infrastructure and aligning resources accordingly. So I can, I can, Describe how difficult it is going through a budgetary process thinking, you know, this safety is a big umbrella and I want to ensure that our community is heard as it relates to the physical safety of students. We want families to know when kids are in school, they're as safe as we can po possibly keep them. And the other side of safety relates to how kids are, of course, feeling. Some of their issues of anxiety, because we know sometimes those get to very dangerous levels and severely impact safety specific to themselves as well as how they treat other people.
So I guess I'm asking for a little bit of advice. What would your perspective be as one who's kind of working as partially under that umbrella I described? What would your advice be to school districts and communities as it relates to considering limited resources and trying to attack this safety dilemma from as many angles as possible because they're all important. So one of the things that schools are doing is taking a hint really from the federal government and our police forces about the response to terrorism. And that is, if you see something, say something. We're giving kids now ways to text a tip or ways to go online and send anonymously information to their school administrators or to a third party vendor who can then reach out to the school and, and have that conversation. And that's really allowing some kids the opportunity to say things they would not have normally said. So we're learning things, we're learning about kids that are in trouble, we're learning about uh, threats potentially to the school, we're learning about uh, bullying and other kinds of issues. So those avenues for communication that allow kids to be our first line of defense and to let, to let their vision be the vision of the whole school system is really helpful. I, I agree with what David says. That was a great answer. I think that um, sometimes that it's because of our social media or just the media in general, the 24-hour-a-day news that we're allowing our kids to see at a very young age, I think a lot of times um, while we do have safety issues in our schools, I think it's so sensationalized on the media and that is building and breeding that fear in our kids too because they're seeing it because we're seeing it on the news 24 7 and families aren't keeping the kids away from that it's available on their phones televisions are on we're hearing it on the radio so things that in the past would have been on one hour in the evening at six o'clock is now coming to us 24 7 and I think that is building a lot of the fear in our kids so I have a question. If, if, if a certain population of the parents aren't really doing a great job of that, how can we introduce some corrective measures in the classroom? Or would there, are there any? So some, some school systems are having really excellent uh, principal uh, town hall meetings or PTSA meetings where they're doing some education with parents and helping them to understand you know, how best to support their child's mental health okay. uh, and how to prevent them from being uh, so uh, accessible to technology and, and social media. So I think some of that information is beginning to get out there. It's difficult to say how much of that information parents are picking up and, and actually putting into practice. Right. And Jeff, I mean, I'm curious. I don't know if Fulton County does this, but would it be appropriate for teachers or a principal to engage in those discussions after these things happen? Or do schools make a practice of doing this? If, if an, a, a large event happens, for instance, is it common for maybe the principal or teachers to engage the students in talking about that after, after that happens? It is common. And okay. we see it's not just the, the principal large events, but there are very specific curriculums designed and they're, they're, they're actually getting you know, earlier and earlier in terms of grade levels. So we see um, you know, cyber safety being taught now you know, in an earlier and earlier grade throughout the country. And right. so, and what we also notice is this is developed, is creating, you know, curriculums aligned to these issues. It's creating, actually, there's a lot of uh, technology specific to monitoring technology of students that is that are rolling out throughout the country so parents can have easier access to some really concerning issues specific right. to what they're 
kids may be engaging in. So we're seeing actually a lot of effort, but let's face it, you know, we're trying to just keep up. This is right. moving really quickly. In fact, as David mentioned, and a lot of school districts are doing this throughout the country, trying to teach students what we used to consider tattling right. to yeah. strategically yeah. say something right. when they see something. And of sure. course, the way they do that is via technology. We have them... And we, there are apps that are created that allow students to contact an adult if they see a friend or if they see something concerning. And we're actually trying to promote this, that all students have this on their phone. And this is, once again, happening in districts all over the country. So David makes a really good point. In some ways, we're trying to keep up with the students by integrating technology to ensure that we can communicate aligned to their mode of communication. Right. Well, just kind of following up on what Kathy said, I think it's important for, you know, school leadership or principals or teachers that are listening to this podcast, you know, you guys have a more of a perspective and an education around development of kids and what's appropriate in terms of what you can expose them to at certain ages. Parents don't necessarily have that. So the parental dilemma for me when something happens is, should I talk about this or should I act or, or... you know, should I should I expose it and then therefore potentially make my child more afraid, more fearful, less resilient, or should I sit them down and engage them with it? And so if the if the school system is expecting parents to do that, then I'm not so sure that's actually happening. Or maybe if parents and teachers just assume because they would do it that all obviously parents are doing it, then that's a conflict as well. I don't know if that made much sense, but I'm just sitting here as a parent thinking about the number of times I've talked to my younger boys who are in middle school and high school and thought, I can't remember the last time I sat them down and said, hey, did you guys hear what happened on the news yesterday? Um, I remember I talked to him when Parkland happened, right? But, you know, I think I've avoided it more than I've engaged with it. And so I'm just... Well, you, you bring up a really interesting debate in a way because one challenge that schools face, let's, let's think of the, the teacher. The teacher who has this complicated task yeah. of, you know, making sure they deliver their curriculum, they're meeting the individual needs of students as learners and so forth, and some of them have 30 if they're in elementary school, or 180, 200 students if they're in high school. And then we start pouring on these incredible responsibilities on top of that and saying, you know, listen, parents are really having a hard time, or they don't necessarily know what to say as it relates to whatever topic that may be, in this case, say, use of technology or somehow discussing some of the really important current events. So what are schools doing? So what we tend to do is we add and we add and then we add and then we wonder why we're struggling. (laughs) Right? So the reason I think this conversation and for Summit to be in the room is because this has to be an all-hands-on-deck strategy from my perspective. I don't think, and no offense to schools and districts, I don't think we can do it alone. Right. right? And I've always said we just can't. And by the way, parents, I'm a parent. I don't think we can just rely on the parent. It needs to be the parents. It needs to be the schools. But it also needs to be community entities leaning in to say, what are we collectively going to do to own and support our students with some very complicated issues? Right. And I think it would be interesting to hear from Kathy and David on the right level of partnership between the parents and the schools and how that should work and, and really faith-based, faith-based organizations as well. So, I mean, whatever you guys yeah, what are your thoughts are. It, 
it does take the entire community. Uh, none of us can do it alone. I would say that um, I feel like schools are doing a much better job these days of talking about it, uh, normalizing the conversation around mental health, but um, also our faith houses. A lot of times those are the places that uh, a family will go to first when they're in crisis. So instead of confiding in um, a teacher or a school counselor, they're going to go to their pastor or their priest. Uh, we need to educate our pediatricians. A lot of families, um, children are going to the pediatricians with stomach aches or yeah. headaches, uh, muscle stresses, and um, those are, they're presenting as physical, but uh, the underlying issue is mental health issues, exactly. stress, anxiety. And so uh, the entire community needs to be educated. We need to um, feel comfortable talking about mental health, that it's the same as physical health, and that um, when, w when we need help, we reach out for help. Right. How well do you think the, the students are getting the messaging on this. Remember when we were all kids, what, what, the, what was the mantra when there was a fire in the house? What was it? Stop, Stop drop, drop, and roll. Stop, drop, and roll, yeah. right? So mm -hmm. see something, say something is mm -hmm. one thing we're teaching them. Uh, how good is the, uh, do you think that, that we're all doing a good job of that? Is, it, does, is that pervasive? What are the other messages that we're trying to communicate that are similar to that? The biggest message we're trying to communicate right now is that it's okay to ask for help. Okay. That, that's yeah. a message we frequently hear now that we wouldn't have heard 10 years ago, True. 15 years ago. And more kids now feel like uh, that, that, there's, that there is less stigma attached to asking for help and getting a counselor uh, than there used to be. So we're seeing that happen when the school systems are adding more social and emotional learning social workers and focusing on the needs of, of students, that's opening up that conversation. Mm -hmm. There's beginning to be more curriculums being taught in the school that are health-related, mental health-related, signs of suicide, those kinds of curriculums that really begin to make it a more palatable conversation for students. Right. They don't mind asking for help. And sometimes they ask for help for each other. It's not unusual when we go out to speak that we have a, a, a group of kids walk up and say, hey, we were just all listening and here's our friend who needs help, but we decided to come up here with her to ensure that she gets the help that she needs. So it's really neat to see that stigma wall beginning to come down. Well, and the reason I wanted to have, um, why I thought, you know, having David and Kath with us here today was because I think it demonstrates that there are strategies sometimes uh, beyond the resource. So, uh, like I mentioned, I know what it's like to try to split up resources to meet some very complex needs. And at times, school districts and communities need to start thinking creatively relative to what partnerships are possible. And even if it is a smaller community and they might not have specific community resources, just making sure that they are raising the discourse around issues of anxiety and mental health, talking about it makes a dramatic difference. And just years ago, this was an issue. And by the way, still to this day, we struggle talking about mental health. Yeah. And so, you know, the fact is, and one of the reasons I wanted to have this podcast is because to promote conversation and discourse around mental health, right. and to David's point, anxiety with kids. Because I think it is aligned to some of our overall safety concerns. 
We need kids to be safe, but we also need them to feel safe if we want them to meet their potential. And I've said that for years, but of course it comes down to how, right? And, and so I think in, in many ways, this really starts to peel back some of the layers on what is possible, knowing that it's not easy, but we need to make progress because if we do not focus on it, if we do not talk about it, in many ways we're doing our, our children a disservice. So how do you explain to a student that it's okay to ask for help and why they should? Well, in some ways it's about creating almost an expectation, not just about asking for help personally, but we talked about if you see something, say something. This needs to be an expectation. We're seeing schools do that now, right? We're getting better at it. In fact, you know, see something, say something is actually where we get most of our information. School districts throughout the country know what I'm talking about. Yeah. People sometimes think, wow, I heard of an event that happened. I just want to be honest. Events almost happen all the time. Now, not some of the catastrophic ones that you, know, you may be thinking of, but so much is intervened on relative to what kids help us with. I mean, wow. ask any assistant principal, any SRO at a high school, and say, where do you get the majority of your intel? <laughs> and they will say, from our kids. Our kids right. tell us. Wow. Right, so we need to create these safe environments where students feel comfortable talking to adults in the building. When that happens, and by the way, the FBI would agree with me, and I have some stories around that, they would agree that that is sometimes the most effective strategy in terms of physical safety is creating an environment where students have trusting relationships with adults. Wow. Absolutely. And in order for students to both be safe and feel safe, they also have to have the skills and the tools that they need to increase their own capacity for safety. I think mental health services are a part of that and one of the things we need to continue to work on in our schools is reducing the stigma around asking for help. We're doing a better job of that now but also increasing access by having services available that we know about that are on-site as well as off-site and uh, our social workers and our school counselors often know who those people are and they do a great job of guiding kids towards those but the number of programs that are like that need to continue to increase so that kids know if they need help where to find help how to reach out and then the affordability of that has to continue to improve we have kids at, at every socioeconomic level that need these services and oftentimes it is, um, it is an affordability that is the block. Sometimes it's access that's the block. Sometimes it's, it's stigma that's the block. And we just need to continue to remove all those barriers. You know, the premise of this show is we know that people care dramatically about schools. Yeah. Whether um, they support them or even when they're frustrated with schools, that's caring. That's not apathy. Yeah, right. And people care. And so the concept is let's talk about schools, show people under the hood specifically, so they can start to understand some of the complexities, but also where they may fit within the context of a solution. So I think the, the idea of having David and Kathy here today was perfect. I know that we can't solve this issue in a podcast, but we can talk about it. And I think that's really important. And let's face it, 
it's going to take a lot more conversation. In fact, Absolutely. We just scratched the surface We today. just scratched the surface. And so what I recommend is that as we move forward, we're careful not to just skip to other topics before we delve a little bit deeper. And i just like to say, David and Kathy, we couldn't have had this conversation, obviously, without you. And if we would have tried, it would have been um, much shallower. So I, I appreciate everything that you do for our kids and our community. And I know that you just have a heart for this work and um, we're blessed to have you so thank you hey, thank you thank for you. allowing us to be here it's a privilege for us all right all right okay so that wraps episode four for now thanks again to david and kathy from the summit counseling center uh, thank you to carson who's engineered and recording and editing our podcast and oh i just wanted to interject Jeff? and say yeah. you know I mentioned that we. I opened up this Facebook page. If there's any sort of comments, oh, any yeah, sort of questions, yeah. um, I am listening. And I think the the idea of creating discourse with lit- listeners can just make create a lot of value. And by the way, if you've listened, thank you very much. And I would ask that maybe just tell one other person, one yeah. other person who you may think uh, would appreciate this kind of conversation and this focus talking about schools um, you know increasing our listeners I think only increases that pool of collective interest as well as wisdom so absolutely again folks uh, please give your uh, t- give us your questions on Jeff's Facebook page Jeff did you actually mention the did we mention the what it's called leading education with Jeff Rose there we go that's yeah. the name of the podcast and the name of the Facebook page imagine the coincidence All right. All right. Thanks, folks. Talk to you soon. listening to Leading Education with Jeff Rose, hosted by Jason Pace and Jeff Rose, and recorded at Serendipity Labs in Alpharetta, Georgia. We are produced and edited by Carson Pace. Our theme music is by Full Year of Panic. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next week.